something that you just kind of like you ever just see something and you're like oh yeah okay to me <laughs> is when it's pouring rain out and someone gets on the bus and they're wearing like ugg style boots oh mm. yeah every like, time i see it, it i'm just like <laughs> your feet are just like it's like putting Sloshing. a soggy teddy bear on your foot yeah <laughs> like that's yeah they're not waterproof and i know that their feet smell yes a hundred percent like you oh, know that like, their feet like just a wet smell dog. disgusting yeah like a wet dog yeah um, I have a little, I guess, warning for today's episode. Sure. Should we do our intro first? Sure. <laughs> or you would do the mood your is warning weird first? today. It is weird today. Hello, <laughs> you're listening to the Odd Sisters podcast. Uh, I'm Marcy. I'm Allison. And I'm Julia. And that was like record timing. Yeah, it was great. And mm-hmm. there was like no goofiness. Mm-hmm. There was there. there. <laughs> That was my silly voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very silly voice. Um, and on contrary, or contrary to that, um, I do have a small warning for today in that it is a little like outside of our comfort zone, this episode. And I was okay. concerned. Is it a warning for us or the warning for people listening? Both. Okay. So when you listen to the Anne-Marie Hahn episode... Mm-hmm. Allison starts it off by saying like we don't really do true crime mm-hmm. and we don't really get into like the nitty gritty of true crime right like when we were talking about Emery Hahn I'm just gonna move that because that was really distracting <laughs> um when we were talking about her you didn't like get into like what was happening to the men she poisoned and stuff like that and for the yeah. most part that's just not the kind of podcast that we have mm-hmm. however because of how this story goes there is it's a true crime story mm-hmm. and there is a part where I have to talk about what happened Okay. Um, it is vague. It's not like super, super detailed, but there are gory moments to this. Okay. So if Will that's it be not grosser your... than my Terrera episode though? No. Probably not. <laughs> Won't top that. There's not it's not gross. It's just it gets really intense. So okay. if true crime and that kind of stuff isn't your thing, and for a lot of people it isn't, despite the popularity of it, then mm-hmm. um then this just isn't your episode. But otherwise, enjoy. Okay. Um, I don't think a lot of people know this story because it is very Canadian. Oh. Um, and I would love to have a forum where I could dive deeper into this because there's a lot of stuff that I left out. Allison knows what it is. I don't know how detailed she, like how many details she knows about it specifically. So, but we'll see. She's okay. like, yeah, I know it. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So... Okay. I gotta find a good spot for my mic where I can see my writing. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that's down here. Okay. I feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm Randy (laughs) writing the novel. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Uh, Johnny O'Connor might have been 11 years old, but he was already very skilled as a farmhand, and his father often made extra money by lending him out to other farms to tend to their cattle. So remember, we talked about that in the Mary Celeste episode with the kids that would go to different farms and help out. Oh, yeah. It's not really any schooling at that Mm -hmm. time. Um, We're we're talking about the mid-1800s. So kids kids were mouths to feed, and so they could make their own money by 11 years old. So (laughs) uh, the farm he worked on the most belonged to Jim Donnelly, though belong is kind of a relative term. So we're going to go back. In the spring of 1847, Jim Donnelly, his wife Joanna, and their two sons, all of whom had just arrived in Canada by way of Ireland, piled into an old wagon, their meager belongings and supplies strapped to the side, and traveled through through the city of London, Ontario, looking for what would be their home. There is a, this is one of the parts where I didn't get into it Mm -hmm. very much, but if you're ever interested... (laughs) in something horrible um perhaps if you've been in montreal or in different parts of 
uh, Eastern Canada, you've seen plaques and things like that. But a lot of Irish immigrants ended up in Ontario. Mm. And that seems like a far ways away because there's not a port in Ontario, right? Yeah. So there's a really crazy history of how they got there, Mm -hmm. where they come over on the ships, which were horrible, horrible places. And then they're in like holding cells as they go along. They're literally like places where they were held like a quarantine spot and Mm -hmm. then they'd be released and then they travel here and then and it was just like a it was a crazy thing if you want to read up on something insane that no one knows about in history definitely read on how the irish got to their settlements (laughs) it's pretty nuts i had no idea until i was looking at this so um jim couldn't afford to lease land from the canada company which was custom for prospective farmers at that time so he decided to partake in another custom instead Squatters rights. Jim mm. found a patch of vacant land, the southeast corner of lot 18 on the Roman line in the township of Biddulph. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. It's B-I-D-D-U-L-P-H. Oh. Biddulph. 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 Uh, and he got to work farming. He first constructed a log cabin for his family to live in and then got to working on laying the land in order to cultivate the rich Ontario soil. And Joanna, his wife, got to work birthing more children. Mm. She added four more sons, and for a while, life for the Donnelly family looked good. Hmm. It wasn't until 10 years later that things took a rough turn. The first thing that happened was that the absent landowner and rightful settler of the Donnelly's land sold his plot to a man named Pat Farrell, who was not only not absent, but was none too pleased to find the family living on his new purchased lot. (laughs) (laughs) That is quite the shock. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And they have like a farm. Like yeah. it's a house now instead of the full cabin. They've it's been yeah it's been ten years of them living on this land, and he just bought it, and then he shows up, and it's like oh, okay. He immediately took them to court, trying his hardest to get them kicked out of town. And in the meantime, he told everyone he could what he thought about the Donnelly family. The town of Biddulph was already very divided. There's Roman Catholic and a, there's a Roman Catholic and Protestant feud that went back to Ireland for hundreds of years and found a new home in Canada. So when Patrick Farrell brought religion into the fight, he had all of Biddulph's Protestants behind him. Mm. That's another part I didn't get into. If you really want to, these, all these families come from Tipperary. And if you really want to read on how divided Ireland was and the Protestant Reformation arriving in the North and what that meant, definitely read up on that. Mm -hmm. But that's just not the form I have here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But basically it goes back hundreds of years and it is like, there's gangs so the Catholics are called the White Boys, mm-hmm. and the Protestants are called Blackfeet. And it's a very, it also comes, if you ever watched um, Gangs of New York, mm-hmm. mm. same thing. Oh, okay. All the gangs. And there's like the Protestant one, there's the Catholic one, the Americans who just hate yeah. everyone. Well, <laughs> there's a reason why there's Ireland and then Northern, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is where the germans landed mm-hmm. basically as a really cool history if you're if you're interested because i think everyone knows about northern ireland but they mm-hmm. don't think they know the history of it so yeah feel free um yeah jim tried his best to avoid patrick he just wanted to farm and raise his family but the argument came to a head on the night of june 27th 1857 when jim found himself drunk at the same barn raising as the equally drunk patrick farrell uh-oh. So traditionally, uh, you would when you would raise a barn, all your neighbors would come to help, and then for them helping, you would provide them whiskey. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was called. It was called something. What do you mean? Like the, oh, the, the party. The oh. party was called something like a bee. It was called a bee. And oh. it was like the gathering of people afterwards, where they're just drinking and having a good time after working for the day. But they're also drinking while they're doing the barn raising. So they're helping and they're drinking, and everyone's mm-hmm. drunk. It <laughs> didn't take long for words to turn into blows, and soon the two men were fighting. Most onlookers decided to leave them alone. They saw it as a good way for the men to work out their aggressions. <laughs> <laughs> but when Farrell managed a punch that knocked Jim on his ass, the bystanders stepped in, holding him back from a common Irish fighting move referred to as, quote, putting the boots to him. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine what that is. Yeah. Everyone thought Jim was down for the count and held Patrick back from doing any more harm to him. But it only gave Jim time to shake his head, clear the cheap whiskey from his brain. He jumped back up into fighting stance, and Patrick pulled away from the men who were holding him back, lunging at Jim. But when, what he didn't know was that Jim had picked up an iron hand spike while he had been laid out on the ground. Uh-oh. And as Patrick lunged towards him, Jim threw it at him. Well, What his intention had been, no like one knows. Like a javelin? Just 
or like this, like underhand. I imagine it underhand. Like he gets up and it's in his hand. And he just goes, ja, like that. Ja, ja. <laughs> um, <laughs> what his intention had been, no one knows. Jim had done his best all day to ignore the allegations of Patrick Farrell, only giving in after hours and hours of prodding. So perhaps he only meant to slow the man down, to cause injury enough for him to be able to leave this horrible situation. But who knows? Regardless, the spike flew through the air and struck Patrick Farrell directly in the left temple. Oh, God. (laughs) The barn raising came to an abrupt end, obviously, and everyone did what they could to help the gravely injured man. And Jim's friends urged him to stay and turn himself into the authorities. After all, it was in self-defense. But Jim was used to a very different law in Ireland and was fearing for his life. So he fled. Three days later, on June 29th, Patrick Farrell died and a warrant was issued for Jim Donnelly's arrest. Wow. Well, now that lands theirs, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It was easy enough for him to hide. Most of the land around the farm was still wooded. And we know what, like, think of like around Joanne and Phil's house. Like, very easy to hide in those woods. They're... Think of that, guys. (laughs) (laughs) our aunt and uncle live not yeah kind of in this area they're a little bit more north but um it was easy for him to hide most of the land around the farm was still wooded and there weren't enough officers of the peace to comb comb through them so Mm. he camped out not far from his homestead but close enough that he could or sorry not too far from his homestead close enough that he could replenish his supplies Mm. he lasted only a few months out there because the summer of 1857 was not a nice one and for irish immigrants who had just escaped famine only a decade before it was worrisome nighttime frost started as early as late july and early august yeah and by september jim knew he had to go home and help joanna with the harvest or they could lose everything the farm was just too important so Jim returned, returned home and tended to the fields, dressed in one of Joanna's old maternity dresses. <laughs> a kindly neighbor woman to anyone who asked. So anytime anyone came around, there'd be like a woman working in the fields. And they'd be like, who's that? And like a neighbor. I'm like, oh, I'd love to meet her. And then she'd like scurry off and be like, no, she has to go home. <laughs> he'd like go off into the woods. Not a woman. Not a woman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know we're trying to be serious. And this like husky Irishman, like yeah. in these dresses, exactly. just like I'm the neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> um, he slept tucked away in the barn, so he didn't sleep in the house. Uh, he would come in for evening meals. Joanna would put one candle in the window if the coast was clear, and two if it wasn't. Um, and it could be evidenced by the birth of baby Jenny in the spring of 1858 that he didn't spend all his evenings sleeping in the barn. But by the oh, next maybe winter, Joanna came to the barn. You don't know. Totally. <laughs> very, very true. Very Maybe true. he did. <laughs> I don't think the barn's a very nice place. I don't know that. I mean, Joanna's pretty. What the shit? Haunted. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that? It's the ghost the of doll's Joanna. head move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like when I'm reading potentially creepy stories and then creepy things happen around <laughs> Although, if it wasn't for the creepy story, I don't think it would feel creepy, you know? It's like a hand-in-hand thing. Anyway, baby Jenny's born in the spring of 1859, 1858, sorry. But by the next winter, Jim had had enough. He asked Joanna to pay a visit to Jim Hodgins, who was the best friend to the Donnelly family and had been a constable back in Ireland. Jim urged her to tell her husband to give himself up. So the next day, Jim Donnelly walked to the nearby village of Lucan and gave himself up for the murder of Patrick Farrell. He was immediately arrested and a trial was organized, but soon all of Jim's worst fears became, uh, sorry, but all of Jim's fears were soon realized as despite the fact that he had a strong case for self-defense and plenty of witnesses, the courtroom turned into a battle of religions and all of Jim's Roman Catholic neighbors took the stand to tell the jury and a very large audience what an evil man he was. It didn't take long before Jim Donnelly was found not only guilty, but sentenced to death. That's insane. Like, it's just... Like, two drunk guys are fighting. It's not first-degree murder. I guess we don't have degrees of murder back in 1858. They don't have degrees of murder. I think they do, actually. But um, but the self-defense thing immediately went out the window as soon as the Catholics were like, he had it out for him, and this was planned, and, and blah, 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 blah. They it was drunk. a fight, and he picked up a weapon, and... The, you know. He didn't bring it there. No. <laughs> so Yeah, but I'm sure they were saying that. That's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Joanna was frantic. She found Jim Hodgins outside of the courtroom and begged him to tell her how this could have happened. With so many witnesses and the obvious circumstance of self-defense, how? 
Jim was just as shocked as Joanna, and he advised her to put together a petition to ask for clemency. She did, and Jim Hodgins was the first one to sign it. As for the rest, the next Sunday, after church, Joanna stood on the steps of St. Patrick's. Oh, sorry, they're Catholic. The, the Protestants, Protestants hate them. Hate them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even They have a lot of Protestant friends. It's just a very specific group. That Anyway. Uh, stood on the steps of St. Patrick's, her children, James, 17, William, 14, John, 12, Patrick, 10, Michael, 9, Robert, 6, Thomas, 5, and little Jenny at 1, all scrubbed and bathed and dressed in their best clothes, standing behind her in a line, Joanna's eyes pleading with the partitioners to have mercy on her family and sign the petition. It worked. Jim's friends gladly signed, and his enemies signed because everyone was watching. So, <laughs> within a few weeks... Put Jenny right at the front. Right. Yeah. Within a few weeks, Jim's sentence was commuted to seven years in Kingston Penitentiary. Oh. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> Julia was just there. I was. Do, doing a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no probation at the time, so seven years was the sentence, and seven years is what he served. There's no such thing as time off for good mm -hmm. behavior. That's just your sentence. Mm -hmm. So, in the spring of 1866, two things happened. The first set the townships all over Ontario into a panic, arming their homes and sending their sons into military service. The Finian Brotherhood announced that they would be invading Canada. Uh, For more information on this topic, you definitely need to read a book. <laughs> uh, I don't have I time like, to going get into, into that, are you? <laughs> but basically, a bunch of Irish said they were going to invade Canada, and Canada armed itself, having never had to arm itself before. Yeah, because yeah. they're, they're, well, just briefly, they're American. Or Irish people in America. Irish people in and America. And Canada at this time is part of the British Empire. Yes. So they're yeah, exactly. And you have a bunch of Irish people kind of like <laughs> two footing being like, well, we're also Irish. But again, they're so divided. Yeah. yeah. Even amongst themselves. But they're also part of the British Empire now. So. Yeah. And Canadian. Like it's a very, they've got good lives up here for the most mm -hmm. part. So the township of Lucan actually lost two boys in the battle that, um, that month. So they were kind of very focused on what was happening and unnoticed by everyone else. Um, unnoticed by anyone else except for the Donnelly family, Jim Donnelly returned home. The whole family greeted Wait, him. what? Well, we're 1866 now. Oh. We skipped forward. Okay. The whole family greeted him as he got off the coach in town. His eight children were joined by a ninth edition, the orphan son of the man he had murdered, William Farrell, oh, who wow. Joanna had raised as her own. What a twist. Jim had insisted on it. The kid didn't have any parents and they yeah. were on his land. So he literally just came over to their house and he was like, you're raising this boy. And so Joanna took another kid. And yeah. I mean, what's one more? Exactly. Have yeah. Eight kids. Um, all of them now seven years older and almost strangers to their father. They greeted their father and then they piled into a buggy and made their way back to the Donnelly home. Jim tried to return to normal, but life had kind of moved on without him. The kids were men, and they knew how to tend to the farm. Joanna was a weathered woman, hardened from years of enduring her husband's absence, and the town itself seemed bent on never letting him forget that they hated him. His friend, Jim Hodgson, like the one man keeping him in check, died that year. And everyone seemed bent on blaming the Donnellys for any misfortune, no matter how absurd. Jim once declared, quote, if a stone fell from heaven, they'd blame it on the Donnellys. But as Jim's oldest son, William, grew into a handsome, charismatic, and popular young man, the enemies of Jim Donnelly shifted their focus from the aging man to the upstart young one. Will actually started like a really um, successful coach company that like mm. drew coaches from oh <laughs> i thought you meant like coach like bags <laughs> it's all the rage yeah um he had like three different coaches and they ran like really like they were making a lot he was making a lot of money from okay it, so. doesn't him adopting that kid though show that they really don't care it was an accident and like no one else stepped up to take that they probably were like oh they took the kid and now they're raising him catholic like they they know oh. how to spin literally everything that this family does is spun into something bad that's insane mm. And, and it's not all Catholics, it's just, and, and his friend, Jim Hodgins, he's a Protestant, and, like, they're best friends. Is there a class issue involved in it, too? Like, is it also because they were squatting on that land? Possibly, and yeah. Possibly no one else and, and did? And they, they work the land, they become successful farmers. So rather than, like, moving to Canada with the funds in order to purchase the land and and 
creating your wealth, they had nothing. And yet they're at the same kind of standing as those other people. Like mm. they worked really hard to get where they are. So there is kind of a resentment around people that there's old money and new money. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. And especially Will. His dad's been in jail. He's working this farm. Plus he starts this coach company. He's doing really, really well for himself. He's He's, he's got to go. So Will wasn't as mild-mannered as his father was. Jim had done everything he could to avoid the bitterness of his neighbors, but William was young and brash and often getting into trouble. And for some reason, he kept courting women directly connected to the families that hated him. <laughs> yeah, well, reason. that's what makes them attractive. Right? <laughs> Your the dad first... hates my guts. <laughs> yeah. the let's first... get married. Let's get married. <laughs> the first was Maggie Thompson, who he actually tried to kidnap from her home and ended up having to defend his actions in court. So they kind of conspired because Maggie wanted to marry him. Her father wouldn't let him. Mm -hmm. So they were going to literally kidnap her and take her away and then elope. And then they would return and they'd be married and be like, womp, womp, sorry. Um, <laughs> but it didn't it didn't work. And her, her dad <laughs> and actually... it just looked like a kidnapping. It just looked like a kidnapping. And her dad <laughs> stopped the whole thing and then, and then took William to court. And it was this whole thing with his friends who had helped. And it just doesn't help everything that's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Now you've tried to kidnap my daughter. So yeah. he never married Maggie, and her misfortunes were even worse when her father, angry with her involvement with William, married her off to a man she loathed. So the the That's book nice. that is written about this was written in the 50s, and he states that there's still people that live in the Lucan Township that remember this wedding because it was so depressing. Oh like Maggie gosh. just like cried the whole way through and was just so upset by the entire thing that was happening to her. That it's so like 100 the, years um, later... Oh. <laughs> This like, is going to be the weirdest reference ever. But you know in the, the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore? Yes. When I was just the prince the almost day. marries that princess and she's just sobbing. Sobbing the, the whole thing. thing. It was that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the next woman he courted was named Nora Kennedy, another old Irish family who had been part of this feud for hundreds of years. Only Nora was a lot more headstrong with, than Maggie had been. And rather than conspiring against her family or simpering or whimpering or... It's very, it's very, it's Victorian era at the same time. So women were very demure in the way that they accepted affection, but Nora wasn't. Uh, she basically told her father she was going to w marry William Donnelly, <laughs> and her brother John swore that he would do anything in his power to stop the wedding. He didn't succeed. They were married in the new year. I like Nora. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, this is what's happening. She's pretty cool. Um, blaming the Donnellys <laughs> became habitual for any criminal, and it was a good way to get away with crime. There was a couple of, like, there's a guy that's literally a gang leader. He died. He was killed. But when he was shot, he basically confessed on his deathbed that he had blamed all of his crimes on the Donnellys. Oh, he's my like, God. All of the shit that you took the Donnellys to court for. And he was like, this, 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 and this. That was me. It was it was foolproof. If you, if you blamed the Donnellys, people believed it. They had few friends, and wow. those who weren't connected to the family believed that they were evil and were ready to believe anything said about them. Oh, my god! That isn't to say that they were without sin. The older boys were constantly getting into trouble, and they weren't above using violence to get what they wanted, but no more so than any other family in town. And there's a crazy amount of murders and things happening at this time. Like, the author of this book goes into, like, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. <laughs> you think that, like, this time is very a gentle time like this victorian era and like settlement canada but no it was mm -hmm. brutal and basically anything that happened that was bad was just blamed on them yeah everything Jeez. uh yeah and that would make you not behave if you're fucking like 18 years old and well they're gonna blame me for things wrong. anyway yeah, so i might, might as well, well do, do shit, shit that i want to do yeah, yeah. it doesn't turn you into a nice person no. either, right so there was nothing inherently evil about the Donnellys, but that didn't seem to matter. The town thought that something had to be done about them. So I was editing this this morning and I actually took out, but now that I'm reading it, I kind of want to put it back in. But basically the, um, the Catholic church, because there's all these thefts and everything happening, uh, the, the priest at the Catholic church pulls everyone together and says like, Hey, we really want to like soothe everyone's nerves and people are getting really riled up. So how about everyone open their homes and we'll walk through and we'll make sure that there's no stolen goods anywhere in your home. <laughs> what an idea. And Jim Donnelly was like, absolutely not. You're not coming into my home just for me to prove my innocence. Like I'm not, this is absurd. They would literally just go through their home and then everyone would be like, all right, <laughs> we're yeah, done here. Like, absolutely absurd. So uh, in response to that, there was a thing called the Vigilance Committee that was put together, and they had this meeting, and one of William Donnelly's friends tried to go to the meeting, and he was not allowed in. Hmm. 
they said, you're, you're not, you don't belong here. These friends of the Donnelly family. Yeah. And so then they showed up to the Donnelly homestead, this vigilance committee did, and they started, they said they were searching the barn for a stolen horse. It's okay. I'm on the loudest chair in the entire I don't world. think the mic picks it up. I don't think so. We'll see. They're searching um, the barn. They're searching the barn for a stolen horse. And Thomas Donnelly is there and he's like, there's no stolen horse here. Go through the barn. You'll, you won't find anything. So they ransack the barn. And while they're ransacking the barn, they go into the house. They literally turn the house upside down. They just like throw shit off of shelves. They just destroy the house while they're looking for, they said that Thomas shaved the horse tails from one of the local farmer's horses because horse hair is the tail hair is really expensive. And mm-hmm. they said that this farmer woke up one day and all of his horse's tails had been shaved and he blamed the Donnellys, of course. So they're looking through the house for this horse hair. They don't find it. They literally just destroy the house and leave. And this happens two weeks or a week before this whole thing. So this vigilance committee is formed and they're literally, their motivation is just to discover the Donnellys. I've done something wrong. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the whole reason why these men get together. That's mm-hmm. it. So on the last day of his life, Jim, now 65 years old, harnessed up his mare and asked his son Tom to join him for a trip to town. It was February 3rd, 1888. A cold but clear day and Jim knew, or Jim and a few of his sons had to appear in court the next day to defend themselves against the latest accusations against them. Patrick Ryder's barn had been set ablaze and he was swearing up and down that it had been the Donnellys who had done it. So, in order to tend to the farm while they were away on business, they called on Johnny O'Connor, the 11-year-old boy we were talking about at the beginning, to come with them to help him on the farm. Mm. Johnny was used to working with the Donnellys and thought that they were a kind family. He'd stayed the night at their home many times, um, and William was no longer at home, living on his new homestead with his wife, and young Jenny had been married, and so had Robert, and both of them were away, but with the addition of Jim's niece, Bridget, from Ireland, it was still a full home. That's another thing that was, they, Jim Donnelly really did, like, he just kind of did his own thing. And I think that was really his biggest sin as far as the community was concerned. The the church tried to set a charity drive to get people to come from Ireland that couldn't, violence was really getting really bad in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And so they set this charity drive to bring ancestors and people that were connected to the families in town to Canada to get them out of Ireland. And rather than contributing to that, Jim just put his own money in and brought Bridget, his niece from Ireland. He was uh, like, yeah, that's a good point. And so he brought her and let her live. But he wasn't giving it to But he wasn't church. giving it to everyone else. He just oh. brought his own niece over because she needed to get out. Oh. Right? So it was kind of like, Bridget probably would have gone anyway, but he didn't want to take the charity and he didn't want to, like, so he was just like, yeah. I'll just do my own thing kind of thing. So... Again, I think he just, he didn't really want to be involved in that way. Mm-hmm, like he mm-hmm. just really wanted to be his own self. And that was a lot of the, the, when you talk about like the early, um, like how this all started, it was like, oh, he just keeps to himself and he's a mean man. But like quiet people aren't necessarily mean. They're just quiet. No. <laughs> like, and, and people that are close to them know that they're not, you know, you yeah. just have to get close. That's it. And there is a thing with like churches, where it's like they do provide a good sense of community for you, but there is kind of an expectation of how you are a part of that community. Yeah. Yeah. That if you're not participating the way they want, then it becomes a not very great community exactly. for you to be in. Watch Midnight Mass. <laughs> I'm on the third episode. Nice. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so Patrick Ryder's barn had been set ablaze and he had sworn that the Donnellys had done it. So now Johnny O'Connor is coming to help with the farm. Um, so Bridget was there from Ireland. So it's still a very full house. They still have yeah. all their kids. We have Jenny, Robert and William and Patrick. Those are the only three that don't live at home, but everyone yeah. else is still there. And we have Bridget now. How old is Jenny? She's born 58. Yeah. And it's 1888. Okay. So she's okay for okay. a girl. She's marrying age. She's, yeah. she's yeah. Yeah. Um, where's my place? John came out to help his elderly father put the horse in the barn while Tom and Johnny brought some apples inside to munch on while the women prepared dinner. After they ate, John rode off to visit his brother and the rest of the family did their evening chores and around 9.30, everyone went to bed. At the same time, outside and down the road, two cousins, Thomas and Robert Keefe, friends of the Donnelly family, were outside standing by their farm gate, casually chatting before they were going to retire inside for bed, when a man in horseback rode past them. Who is that? asked Robert. Pat Ryder, replied his cousin. The old man? No, young Pat, young Pat, his son, 
Did you see what he was carrying? Bob took a moment to regard what he had seen. It looked like a stick, he said. Thomas shook his head. It was a gun. He was hiding it under his coat. Bob, obviously not the smartest man in the world, then asked his cousin, well, what's he doing with a gun? <laughs> he's going around, he's going to gather the faction. You watch. They'll be shooting up the county tomorrow at trial. So he thinks he's gathering people because that big trial's tomorrow. So mm-hmm. it wasn't That's not what he's entirely correct. <laughs> <laughs> William Donnelly was at the woodshed when his brother John arrived. He was with another one of the Keefe family. So there's the two cousins that are standing outside the gate and now the other Keefe. Um, James, James Keefe is helping William with the splitting wood outside and John rides up. He told John to head inside to see the woman, his wife, Nora, while he <laughs> finished splitting the wood. Nora wasn't too fond of the Donnellys and her in-laws didn't actually like her much either, but she really liked John, who she referred to as Johnny. In fact, everyone seemed to like him. Even their most embittered enemies had, the f- had a fondness for Johnny Donnelly. So Nora and Johnny sat by the fire drinking tea, and when William and James Keefe finally came inside, they were joined by Martin Hogan, a longtime friend of, of William's. Uh, Martin Hogan was the one that tried to go to the meeting and was told he couldn't go in. Oh, okay. The group ate dinner, then drank some tea and talked. Their conversation probably focused on the trial the next day and wondering what else the family could be blamed for. Eventually, Nora went to bed. Keefe left, and when Martin also got up to leave, William suggested that he stay the night. They talked some more as Martin and Johnny stripped down to their long johns and retired into the downstairs bedroom before William went up to join Nora in bed. He found his wife in a rather odd position, having fallen asleep at the edge of the bed rather than her normal place closer to the wall, and he poked her to wake up. Push over to the other side, he told her, and she giggled and informed him that she was staying put. I'm not here to warm your side of the bed for you, she said. So William sighed, stepped over his wife onto the mattress and settled into the spot near the wall. It was about 2.30, or sorry, it was about 20 after 2 when he woke up to a presence in his bedroom. He pulled himself out of sleep as he heard someone calling his name. Will? It was his brother. What's wrong, John? He asked. Somebody's hammering at the door, saying something about a fire. And as William shook the sleep off him, he could hear the noise of someone pounding on the door. Will, open up. Will, open the door. There's a fire. Johnny turned and headed to the door as William sat up and peeked out the curtains. He recognized three men instantly. James Carroll, the village constable, John Kennedy, his brother-in-law, and Martin McLaughlin, a prominent local farmer and one-time friend of the family. At a distance behind him, standing near the fence, there were three other men he thought he recognized but could not place. Some of them were wearing cloaks over their faces. He opened his mouth to call out to his brother, but in that same second, a blast rang through the air, and as it died away, there was a whimpering moan and the sound of a body hitting the floor. A smell of gunpowder filled the house. Powder, not power. (laughs) Either way. Filled the house, and John's voice rang out. Will, I've been shot. Will pushed the covers off him, but Martin Hogan's voice called out to him. Lay quiet or we'll all be killed. It's you they want. There were several more shots, and then Will peeked out from the blinds again. The men were all near the fence now. What's next? asked one of them in a strange voice. And then Will and Nora... Oh, sorry. And who replied... Sorry, I don't know how I wrote this sentence. And one that Will and Nora knew all too well replied. Mm. Brother-in-law is easy at last. Not really sure what that means. It's like a weird 1888 way of being (laughs) like, we got him. Yeah. Uh, There were more murmurs, though further away now, and then Nora sat up and declared that she didn't care if she was shot, and pushed out of bed, lit a lamp, and ran to where Johnny was lay bleeding on the floor. Will tried to get up too, but Martin warned against it. They think it's you they shot, he said. If they know you're not dead, they'll come back and kill all of us. (sighs) He then grabbed John and dragged him into Will's bedroom. Will pulled pulled him into his lap, Nora joined him, and they cradled the boy, listening to his breath stop. They stayed like that until the sun came up. I think Nora actually got like a, she had a little bit of a holy candle, like the Roman Catholic candle. And she like gave it to Johnny to hold while he died because you don't have a priest there or anything, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So. Johnny O'Connor shared a bed with the elder Jim Donnelly that night, his wife sharing the, the bed of their niece to make room for the young farmhand. And he awoke in the evening, sometime around midnight, to Mr. Donnelly standing next to the bed, struggling with his trousers and grumbling. What have you got against me now, he asked, still half asleep. The boy flicked his eyes to the doorway and saw a thick-set, dark-faced man with a jet-black spade beard. I've got another charge against you, the dark man said in a half-snarl. 
He turned away from the door and headed into the kitchen to wait for Jim. As he waited, he walked back and forth, whistling. The dark man did, not, not Jim. Johnny slunk into the bed, pushing against the wall and hid behind the blanket, and Donnelly stomped his feet into his farm boots and walked into the kitchen. Tom, are you handcuffed? The old man asked, startled. Yeah, replied Tom. He thinks he's smart. Donnelly stomped his way back into the bedroom, mumbling something about finding his coat, and Johnny realized that he was using it as a pillow. He pulled it out from under his head and handed it to the man. The dark man was once again standing in the doorway holding a lantern, and this time Johnny swore that he was looking right at him. But right then, Mrs. Donnelly called out for Bridget to get up and start a fire. Johnnelly heard Johnny, not Johnnelly. <laughs> Johnny heard her head into the room. Mr. Donnelly turned and headed back into the kitchen. And as Bridget pulled the covers off the stove and started a fire, he heard Tom say, "All right, now read your warrant." There's lots of time for that," said the voice of the man. But no sooner were the words out of his mouth than there was a loud shout, and suddenly the kitchen was full of men. Bridget immediately dropped the kindling in her hands and ran past the bedroom door and up the stairs. And little Johnny sprang out of bed and followed her. She must have thought that he was one of the intruders because she slammed the upstairs door in his face without a second's thought. And Johnny, terrified, unsure what to do, ran back down through the kitchen and back into the bedroom, diving under the bed and hiding behind a laundry hamper. He peeked out for a moment and watched as the kitchen floor was turned into a bloody, muddy mess. Tons of boots just stomping around. Like, he can just see, like, mm -hmm. like all these boots and this mud and just, like, he can't see anything except for, like, right what's under the bed, but... One of the men asked where Bridget was, and he heard footsteps stomping up the stairs to find her. Fearing that they would come looking for him, he pushed back behind the hamper and stayed hidden. He heard Tom break free and run outside, but with his hands manacled, he, managed not, he didn't manage to get very far, and soon Johnny heard him being pulled back into the house. Johnny caught a glimpse of his face full of fear before he heard a voice say, Hit him with a spade, break his skull, and by the time the blow fell, Johnny was once again hiding behind the hamper, this time sick with fear. Like, he actually threw up. Like, he's mm -hmm. 11 years old. Yeah. Someone walked into the bedroom, and for a second, Johnny thought he had found him. But he heard a splashing noise, and then a second before the boots stomped back out of the bedroom, the bed he was hiding under was set ablaze. The room filled with orange light, and Johnny waited for as long as he could before crawling out from under the bed and making his way out into the kitchen. The bedroom door was stuck, and he had to push it open, not realizing that the obstacle holding it closed was the body of Mrs. Donnelly. Consumed with fear, he fled from the house, taking little time to check if anyone was still alive, though he did think he heard breathing. But given the fact that he was 11 years old, it's completely forgivable. Yeah. He noted something that, quote, looked like a dog's head that was near the stove, but otherwise tried not to take in any of the grisly scene around him. It's local legend that the spade that killed Thomas Donnelly actually took his head clean off, and that for the rest of his days, one of the town folk was known as the nickname Spadey. But we'll Ugh. get into that later. Spadey. The Donnelly homestead went up in flames, and given its substantial size, the blaze should have been seen for miles. A month earlier, when Pat Ryder's barn, that was being blamed on the Donnellys, was set ablaze, people came from all parts of the township to help or even just watch the fire. But no one came to the Donnellys' home that night. After the sun rose, William, Nora, William and Nora got up, Norma, Nora, numbly made breakfast, and Will went to the nearest neighbor's house, where he found him awake and dressed. William Blackwell had heard the shots and the commotion from his neighbor's house, but when pressed as to why he hadn't intervened, he gave the vague response of being too scared. Though this was a grisly frontiersman, he definitely would not have been too scared. Mm -hmm. William convinced him to go back to his house with him, where Johnny's body was still lying on the floor, and the two of them collected evidence. Since John had known half the assailants, it would be easy to charge them with murder. So they, put, they took things like, like when you, the, it's the mid 1800s. So you're still doing um, like wadding guns. And so mm -hmm. you would have to pack a shot with something. Yeah. They actually packed it with pages of this like Roman Catholic pamphlet that was popular to be handed out with. And like, so they pulled those out and like put things in envelopes and they were like, there's no, there's no real police at that time. As far as that's concerned, there is, yeah. but not. So he's pulling things out that are going to um, point that he knows who it is and that yeah. it's a part of this whole dispute. It made a weird clicking sound. Oh. <laughs> um, so, so how many people have died at this point? Sorry, that was a kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. um, so we have Johnny. Johnny's dead. Which, um, who's the the kid? Johnny is, is Johnny Donnelly. 
Johnny Donnelly. Yeah, he answered the door at William's house and was shot. Oh, okay. And then at the Donnelly homestead, we have Mr. and Mrs. Donnelly. We have Bridget. We have Tom. And we have, I think, one more boy. Okay. So there's about six people. Okay. That are dead now. Um, yeah. Where am I? Um, since John had known half the assailants, it would be easy to charge him with murder. He then made his way to his friend's home, the Keefs, and noticed that the tracks from the attackers actually led to his house, from his house towards theirs, but turned around halfway as if they changed their mind. When he arrived at Keefe's house, he told him about Johnny and about the tracks leading to his house, and by the time he made his way back to his own home, the news of what had happened to his, other, his family had reached his neighbors. When William heard the news, it said that he didn't look shocked at all. He'd probably actually expected it. By the time he reached his family home, nothing was left. The house had burned to the foundation, the charred bodies of his parents, brothers, and cousin lying in the cellar amongst the bags of potatoes, and the cold winter breeze blew across the embers, now and then igniting them to small flames. The news spread across Ontario very quickly, but the friends of the Donnellys were afraid to talk or even speak up. What of the vigilante committee came for them next? The only people willing to speak were those who had hated the family, and they weren't hard to come by. By the evening, there was enough fodder against the family for a three-column article in the Toronto Mail. The article told of a family whose head, whose, blah, 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 told of a family whose head was a murderer, whose sons were lawless, and whose harsh and hard matriarch was a nagging, strong-minded woman who often taunted her sons that their father had quote killed his man. It praised the volunteers who had been called by faith to check the evil family's wrongdoings. Oh my God, that's insane. That's, it's just, it doesn't, like... It's so biased. He did murder someone, and he went to fucking jail. Uh-huh. That yeah. was... It's done now. Yep. He adopted the guy's kid. Yeah. And this like, is now... This is... It's done. 20... Like, almost almost 20 years. Like... Yeah. Yeah. 1866. Like, like when let he comes him go. home, we're yeah. now in 1888. He was sentenced to seven years in jail. He went to jail for seven years. Turned himself in. He went to jail. The only reason he didn't turn himself in was because... He was scared he would be convicted of yeah. And he's and he which did. he was. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, the crime is over, over. now. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. only person who would should care about it is the guy that's dead, and he's dead. Yeah, and they raised his son, and like, there's a whole like anyway. It's yeah. just insane how people feel that like oh like well whatever he deserves to be dead because he did like he's already he's already done it. <laughs> it's just it's over. Yeah. And spoiler alert for next week's episode, I'm going to do one on the prison that he went to, he went to, because I, like we mentioned, I went there and it was not nice no, at no, all. The conditions are not nice. It was horrible. All, and I'm not going to do it now, but like, yeah. that would have been a really long seven years. Yeah. yeah. Very long. Yeah. Like, and especially for uh, that feud, that Catholic Protestant feud is still going to exist in those walls too. Yeah. He's not the only Irishman in there. No. Nope. So... A jury was formed and a trial was set to inquire into the murders and no one except the two constables sent from London to investigate London, Ontario, not London, England, <laughs> Mr. And Mrs. Pat Whelan, who had been awoken that night to a young boy pounding on their door and Martin O'Connor had any idea that little Johnny O'Connor had been there that night and had seen almost everything. Amazing. Between Johnny and William, they were able to name several members of the vigilante committee, vigilante committee, Six in total, maybe seven. I think. Wait, mm. so do the, the vigilantes don't know that they did not kill William. Not at, not at, yeah, not yet. Like not right away. So well, he's gave it a couple like, days. Walk into the court. No, Johnny. Johnny like, is the surprise oh, witness that okay. he was there. William eventually he has to keep going on living his life. He's going to run right. into somebody, but at first they didn't know. So, um, between Johnny and William, they were able to name several members of the vigilante committee. And after a back and forth and two trials that took place um the members that were the members were arrested and found not guilty how the fuck does that because happen? everyone just hates them much like the stories being fed to the papers the friends of the family weren't willing to be witnesses and those who were received death threats including william he was received so many death threats and like horrible things from the people that were there they were writing him letters with like what they had done to his his family and then being like you're next like Mm -hmm. uh, the O'Connors were being held by the authorities for safekeeping in London, Ontario, and while they were away, the vigilantes burned their home to the ground. But despite eyewitnesses at both scenes, the jury did not find any of the men guilty. They they basically were like the lawyer. They tried one. They tried one guy who was um, the sheriff, 
that was there, the constable that William had seen. And Mm -hmm. Johnny placed him as well. He was the man in the door holding the lantern. He was like, that's constable, whatever his name is. Oh, okay. Uh, So they tried him first. And basically his lawyer was like, besides Johnny O'Connor's testimony, besides eyewitness testimony, you have nothing to put him at the scene. What? Yeah. You have no other corroborating evidence to put him at the scene. It's like, that's huge. huge. (laughs) But the jury was like, no. No. And so because he was found not guilty, the charges against everyone were the same. So they just threw out the whole thing. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yes, it is. You know, it's like the most insane, you know, even if you're going to make the excuse that like, you know, like what's his face? Jim was like a murderer and his sons were lawless. They still murdered Bridget. Mm -hmm. Like what the fuck did Bridget do? They would have murdered Johnny if they'd known he was there. Yeah. Like those are children. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so ridiculous. Each member of the murdered family's death certificate read the cause of death as, quote, supposed to be murdered. <laughs> there are four Donnellys who didn't perish that night. Three sons, William, Patrick, and Robert, and the youngest, little Jenny, all of whom were married with families of their own and didn't live at home. Patrick and Robert um, chose to leave the family squabbles behind them, but William had been the main target of that evening, and the vigilantes had failed to kill him. They didn't know that he didn't live there? Hmm? No, they, they, no, they, they shot went to Johnny. his house. They shot Johnny. They because thought, his brother was there. They thought they were oh. shooting William. They didn't know Johnny was there. Oh, okay. So okay. they go fire gotcha. and a man opens the door and they shoot him. He probably looks very similar yeah, to his, his brother. brother. Yeah. And so they shot him and they thought they shot William, not Johnny. And William had been their target the whole yeah. time. The, William, like the family at the homestead, yes, they hated Jim. But like mm-hmm. by no means do they have to kill Mrs. Donnelly. It was like a very like a like let's just take them all did, out. But William was definitely. Did they maybe go looking for William? Like maybe they shot Johnny and then realized it was Johnny, and then William didn't come. Like maybe him hiding. They actually thought maybe he he's was... at his parents' place. No, because I I read it backwards because I like the narrative a little bit more oh, that okay. way. But the one at the homestead happens first, and then uh, they go okay. to find William. Okay, they kill the family first, and then they yeah. Hmm. Um. So because there was still a feud and those men were still out there, all of them left the town. The remaining Donnellys and their friends scattered to the corners of small town Ontario, some of them even as far as Western Canada and the United States. So everyone leaves this town that was involved in this. That was part of the Donnellys. Yeah. The rest of the town moved on after that. The name of the Donnellys becoming something like a dirty word that you just didn't say. The blame on them continued and Will was sought out and arrested a few more times over the course of his life for things that he didn't do. He wasn't even close. But again, like a barn would burn down. They'd be like, William Donnelly was here. He did it. Why would he ever come back there? That is absolute insanity. Yeah, yeah. The so-called volunteers lived out the rest of their lives. Some of them were well known for their involvement in the murders, like the man who was given the name Spady, and some of them were instead chose and some of them instead chose to take the secret to their grave, almost literally. For the rest of his life, William would receive messages from the families of the now elderly and dying men, men on their deathbeds who had something that they needed to confess to William, and rarely did he go see them. He owed them nothing. No, Quote, no. Let them die with it in. Let him die with it in his throat. He was heard to remark after one such inquiry. Yeah, yeah. like fuck Seriously. you. Yeah. <laughs> but despite the complete lack of justice, going the hell. name of the Donnellys <laughs> lives on. Well, like, past... how how do like how do religious people justify that? Yeah. Like well, not even in like a like a way we... that it's like the towns all against them and everything, and it's just like, like what the fuck. Like, they're so fucking righteous. Like, how do you get to go and end an entire family? Well, not an entire family. Because you feel like you're acting, God, they feel like they're the evildoers. And in a lot of religions, as long as you confess and give penance for your sins, then you can be forgiven. You can do a lot and be forgiven. So is that why they were trying to contact him? Yeah, they wanted to confess to him. They wanted him to forgive them. So they then it didn't work for them. No, he didn't do it. He's not going to give that to them. No. Like, his father didn't get that. His father didn't get his last rites or... Yeah, his father didn't get forgiven for anything he did. Yeah, 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 for sure. So why would he give that to So would they have died thinking that they would be punished for that? Probably. Good. (laughs) That's all I want confirmation. Well, that's the... Yeah, that's the reason they wrote to him to be... Or told their children, like, I have to talk to you. Yeah. He has to come here is because they were like, I'm going to fucking die and I'm going to go to hell because I did this horrible thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Do we know who Spady was, or is it just some guy in the town was called Spady? Um, 
I don't have who he was. Okay. I wonder if someone knows. We should go trash his grave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. I can read you all the names um, of the people that are in the vigilante committee because they signed a thing. They like have a a whole thing with their who, name. How? Because all of the men, that, all of the men that went to trial. Yeah, their names are their names court are record. In court record. They were all guilty. How old is Thomas though? Um, Thomas is probably like seventeen or yeah. so at that time. And what's worse is so Jim Hodgins, the man that was their friend yeah. that used to be the constable, he gave Thomas his handcuffs as like a gift when he died, and it was something that Thomas carried around with him all everywhere. They were like his thing from this man that was basically like a grandfather to him. Mm. Um, and when the constable came in, he used those handcuffs to handcuff him. And then kill oh. and then killed him, <laughs> like that's wild. Yeah. However, despite the complete lack of justice, the name of Donnelly, the Donnellys lives on, well past their the ones of the well past the names of their murderers. Like we don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know who that person is that was called Spady. Maybe some great grand person does, and they still have that. Those people are still in that town. A lot of the families in that town stayed in that town. Yeah. In Ontario, the legend spans generations. It's still a tourist attraction to this day where people come and see the homestead and a museum dedicated to them and their story. And if you're really lucky, you'll even see their ghosts because apparently Mrs. Donnelly has been seen roaming the road of her homestead on the anniversary of the night she was killed. And each of the sons has been seen working in the fields. There's also orbs of blue lights that float around the area where their home had stood and tale after tale of ghostly encounters with one of the murdered family members continues to this day. Wow. Wow. I want to go there the next time we're there, but it's uh, not where, very... Where is it? So it's it's kind of like halfway between Toronto or London, Ontario, and Detroit. It's on the oh. way. It's uh, it's on the way when you like leave the province. Yeah. Kind of oh. like by um, where the Shakespeare Festival is. Mm. Stratford? Stratford. Yeah. Out, out in that area. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. It yeah. is a little far from where we usually go yeah. in Ontario, right? Yeah. It's southern Ontario. We're yeah. in kind of more like a central eastern ontario mm. um i have anyway those guys are fucking assholes yeah yeah Seriously. what the fuck i'm trying to find the names for the vigilante committee okay we have big jack kennedy <laughs> so that was so senior brother-in-law <laughs> no no jack is the oh no yeah john is john's not even named on here because Oh, no, he's down at the bottom here. Big Jack Kennedy would be the senior. William Fahili. Fahili. Uh, Pat Dewan, the Hennies family, which is Dennis, Anthony, and Michael. John Lampfer, James Harrigan, the Ryder family. So we have Elder Senior Ryder, Jim Ryder, Patrick Jr., and Side Road Jim, Thomas and Daniel. I don't know why he's called Side Road Jim. That's <laughs> but there's two Jims in that family. Very so. horrible nickname. The McLaughlins, Martin and John, Ted Tuhi, uh, John Kane, <laughs> uh, James Mare, the Quigleys, John and Patrick Quigley, uh, Patrick Breen, James McGarth, John Putel, Michael Blake, uh, John Ned and Johnny Ryans, William Thompson, John Dorsey, John Bruin, Michael Mad Madigan. Michael Madigan, James Kenny, and James Carroll. Those are the members list for this vigilante committee. But that's not everybody who showed up. No. We know that the... William Feehealy was there. We know that Jack Kennedy was there. Uh, we know that Martin McLaughlin was there. Those are the three that William saw. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. It could have been any of the other ones as far as. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And we assume that one of the writers, because the. The other, the, I can't remember what their name was, but the cousins on the road saw mm -hmm. saw the younger rider oh, yeah. guy with the gun yeah, headed right. towards the house, right? Right, right, yeah. right. So we know that he was definitely there. That's but. crazy. And there's more. There's like a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that I, that I cut out mm -hmm. as well, but it's, um, it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's yeah. very intense. It's, it, it's so it's not, stupid. And, like, and. You know, like just leave mass them alone. Murders, the book that I read, it, they talk about because this was sensation. Like this was like international news when it happened, and it's not that the world hadn't seen mass murders. There was definitely mass murders, but they tend to be impulsive when people do that. It yeah. doesn't tend to be like multiple people planning a family. Yeah, and yeah. like this targeted event is like everyone has this thing in common, and it's it, yeah, it was very unheard of. 
And the fact that it's like just people in the town. Yeah. Like they just went on living their lives. Like that is a brutal thing that he heard with like hit him with the spade kind of thing. Like yeah, you yeah. decapitated a man with a spade and then you just go home to your family. Like there's no way you're not, yeah. you're telling yourself you're not an evil person. That's a horrible thing to see, let alone do. Yeah. And not yeah. just, not even just like, like that's why I was trying to ask how old he was. It's not just even like a man. It's not like Jim got beat with a spade so bad his head came off. Like a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. You killed a boy. And, and then and an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. Like how so do you crazy. how do you get to the point where you're standing in that kitchen and you're like, oh, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And it was so and it's so commonplace for this family with like Jim waking up and being like, okay, what what is it? Go- what's going on now? Yeah. Well, we have another warrant. Like yeah, they, they like go so... to make like tea. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, like, Joanna's like, get well, down here, start a fire because we have company. Yeah. yeah. Like it was so they were just like so used to this like yeah and then they like describe joanna in the newspaper as like a nagging wife and it's like well you would have a fucking attitude if people just come to your house in the middle of the night and wake you up yeah Yeah. exactly i would have an attitude if someone did that (laughs) yeah well they were constantly even before she'd have that signal right with the one candle or the two candle because people would just come into their house and there's a whole thing again that i've read but it, it gets a little bit into so they have a friend of theirs that they basically paid him off because one of the things I didn't talk about was from the the other perspective. They, we only have Johnny's perspective, but um, they were able to just get into the house. They mm-hmm. walked into the house because Tom was already in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. So they came into the house and found Tom in bed because he's going to be the strongest person that's there. Yeah. Uh, Jim's 65 years old at this point, And the other people that are there are women and Our children. children. <laughs> so, so they're, they have to take out Tom. Um, and so they, he like basically hits him over the head while he's in bed and handcuffs him. So makes him, weakens him and then cuffs him so he can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is that there had been a family friend who had visited that night. And uh, when he went to leave, he was going to another place. And when he went to leave, he was like, he, his coat was bothering him. He's like, my coat's too big and it's too warm outside for this level of coat. Cause it's February. So the weather is kind of like yeah. up and down in Ontario in February. Um, so he asked to leave his coat there. He says, I'll come back and get it on my way back this way before I go home. So just hang it on the latch outside and then I'll just come by and I'll pick it up and then you won't have to, I won't have to wake you up to come into the house. So Tom hangs it outside before they go to bed, but it unlocked the door. It's hanging on the latch. They can't lock the door while the coat's hanging there. And for a really long time, when he, when William found out that that's how they got into the house, he was just like, he actually really felt bad for the friend of the family because he's like, this is, this was a big like this changed the game kind yeah. of thing. And and he's like, he must feel terrible for his involvement in this. And then he found out that they had paid him off, that he had done it on purpose. Oh, oh my, my God. God. And so he came over and it was all part of the plan that his coat was there to make sure the door wasn't locked. <laughs> so like, it just goes so deep, right? It's just, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, and everything about it is so horrible. Like, it's just, I just can't get, and maybe it's just because we're very nice people who had never ever hurt anyone intentionally ever but again like i just can't see having a whole family like unless you're like fucking ted bundy yeah How like do you a psychopath have yeah. an entire family in a kitchen and then like like tom tried to run like they're scared you're yeah. scaring them and mm-hmm. then you're just like yep yeah, but i don't know how yeah, you don't wild maybe the, you can those men's families like yeah like everybody knows what they did exactly it's just like you know, remember when dad killed all those people yeah <laughs> anyway let's have dinner but the like but when i read that list of the, the people that were part of that committee it was like the quigleys yeah, yeah. Like, the like whole, whole family, family is in on it all but, of the sons and none because of them felt guilty enough to come forward while they were at court and be like we did do this yeah well, like all of them just nothing they probably well, had them like but... swear something or and fucking burn in hell if you ever spoil this or rat out on rat out you know what i mean but rat on think them. of how easy it was to convict jim donnelly of the murder of patrick farrell he was almost he was almost sentenced to death yeah for mm-hmm. murdering a man in self-defense but a group of men get together and systematically what try and wipe out an entire family and the and with eyewitness accounts from two different people, two sources, mm-hmm. and none of them are even felt found guilty, let alone sentenced to death. Yeah. yeah. They lived the rest they of their lives to kill them. Men. They just wanted to kill them. And it was such a, like, the second trial. They just wanted them gone. They were going to postpone. They weren't postpone. leaving. They were like, there was something about 
it wasn't like an acquittal, but something happened that made the the not guilty stance. And then they were like, okay, well, we'll set a trial date for this. And then they just never did it. It was just laziness. Just like, it's not important mm-hmm. enough to even consider following through on this. That's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. So. You'd think that like as a judge as well, like you'd be pissed off at that. Like they're making, you know what I mean? Like, isn't there some sort of offense where it's just like, that's not your job to decide who gets to live and who gets to die like why why would he even justice shouldn't be that he's like oh they're all innocent like you think you'd be pissed off as a a judge but but it was a jury trial jury yeah okay yeah but it's also just the the fact that there's no there's no fault like it's not like like those people are dead you know what i mean (laughs) like yeah they're dead one guy saw has like you know that there's a boy saying these people all came into the house and then the family is gone now the family is dead he mm-hmm. ran out of a burning building and then the other guy his brother got shot basically in front of him like i don't know how you like maybe you could make the argument that like the sheriff didn't do it or whatever it was the guy with the beard mm-hmm. but then someone did yeah like i just I don't get it someone yeah. killed those people yeah shot his brother um one one of the things so nora not sleeping on the in the inside of the bed uh if she had john probably or william probably would have just jumped out of bed yeah but because he was the his first instinct was to look out the window because he was sitting next to the window rather than get jump over his wife and get up um so they think that that probably that weird thing that she did for some reason probably saved his life because he probably would have just run to the door um and also the brother-in-law is there how do you know it's not your sister your sister that opened that door like it's literally the door opens and two people shot him there's two two there was a rifle and a shotgun blast like at the exact same time so as soon as the door opened they just shot yeah yeah it could have been his sister but i I guess maybe there was so much hate for the donnelly's that as soon as she married william it was like oh she's one of them Yeah. yeah That's so crazy. It is the craziest story. Again, it's it for true crime. It's got so much in it. It has like a family feud that goes back all these years. Mm-hmm. And then it has the like, just the complete injustice of it that just makes yeah. you so angry. And then just this bizarrely gruesome death for that time. Like, yeah, I read about this when I was really young. Like I said, the book, and I'll get the author's name. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but there's only really one book written on the, the definitive book, at least written on it. And, um, written in the 1950s so he had actually access to a lot of people that were alive at that time that he could talk to that were kids at that time yeah like and like i said those families are there so a lot of the times when he was doing research he's going to that town and the families of the murderers and stuff they're like we don't talk about this this isn't something they like they take it into the next generations yeah right and the donnelly's are still thought of as like this evil yeah family and now now and it wasn't until 2009 that they actually like reopened the whole thing and found those men guilty. Like they yeah. changed the whole thing and they were like, no, these people were definitely murdered. Yeah. The, they, they wouldn't even let them have, um, they had they, like a, waited until the rest of them died yeah, to actually they, get, <laughs> but the original tombstones instead of, you know, when you have like born on and then died on mm-hmm. when William had the tombstone made, he had it say murdered, murdered on. 1880 this date february 3rd yeah. 1888 kind of thing and uh, to prove a point it, it was constantly vandalized to the point where the catholic cemetery had to build a gate and lock the gate so that no one could get into the cemetery and then after a while they just got fed up and removed the tombstone entirely and just put like a normal oh my God. marker up but the tombstone is actually in the museum that you go mm. to so no it should be in that fucking cemetery i know put it back there but now they're like it's more of a open thing whereas through like when that man was writing that book in like the early 1900s and it was very much like well you can't prove that they were murdered no okay yeah yeah they just spontaneously died in their home and then one of their heads as a group and then one of their heads fell off and like someone was handcuffed yeah like ridiculous so crazy it's a crazy story yeah you're not towns are fucking so Mm -hmm. they just don't they just don't let things go and they take like the tiniest things they take like so personally yeah yeah like especially like if they're all going to churches too yeah oh yeah it becomes the center there's so much like and and yeah like i know i mean i don't mean to be rude to people who go to church i know a lot of people go to church and they're very nice but 
person I'm with used to go to church when they were a kid. And the reason they don't go to church anymore is they said everyone at their church was a hypocrite. That's literally the reason they don't go there anymore. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with the whether what they believe in at all. They were literally like everyone that went to my church was a fucking hypocrite. Yeah. And they don't go anymore. Because yeah. that's how people are. They're just so self-righteous that yeah. they just... If you it don't fit into, in, they just turn against you. So yeah, it gets yeah. into some dodgy, dodgy spaces. That mm-hmm. organized religion thing, coming from three non-religious <laughs> people yeah. who come from a Catholic family. Like yeah. we come from t- two Catholic families, so you know, it happens. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Thanks for listening. I know that was intense. I kind of wanted it to be. I was trying to think of another episode I could do that's kind of like the Mothman where it's like very narrative and just yeah. kind of like telling a story rather than. Yeah. So I hope that worked out. But uh, I'm just so time. angry now. I know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's very so frustrating. I highly recommend finding the book. It is not published anymore. You cannot buy that book. But if you live in a library somewhere in Canada, it should <laughs> if you be live in, in a library. Sorry. If you live in Canada with a library. <laughs> then you should go to your library because they will have it. And in my high school library, it doesn't really, my high school doesn't exist anymore. But if it did, that book is somewhere. And in that little card thing that goes inside of the book, my name is there at least like eight times. <laughs> I used to get that book out all the time. I so I found don't... it in the secondhand store and I was like, holy fuck, I'm getting this. I don't mean to make you feel old, but there's no way that if that book is out there somewhere, your name is still in a card inside I understand. <laughs> I'm just saying. Unless it's not a very popular book. Our high, the high school that Julia and I went to, like halfway through us going to high school, turned into like like a digital, like we all had a student library cart and we checked out books. There that's was no cool. writing. That's Names cool. Inside <laughs> things. So I New think that's good. New technology. No, but it definitely will be in a library and you should check it out. Um, maybe you'll find it somewhere if you're lucky. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it exists know. online in like used formats. Or a secondhand yeah. store or something. Yeah. I couldn't believe I found that. I mm-hmm. found two books that are very Canadiana that both are not published anymore. And I was mm-hmm. very excited to have both of them in my hand at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is happening? That's pretty cool. So anyway, thanks for listening. Right. Thanks, guys. Um, Instagram, Facebook, website. Website. Do we'll put things. more pictures Say on the hello. website, usually. Yes. There's Allison's a lot of pictures on the website. Unlike there's me. not a lot of pictures of the Donnelly's, but I'll, I'll find what I can and put it up there. Okay. There's lots of pictures like from that area I'll in Ontario, like the museum and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of cities have like an archives thing you can go through. William. William looks like John Wilkes Booth. That's just what men looked like back then. Yeah. He's (laughs) handsome. Handsome. (laughs) He has that same beard. It's that same era for that spade kind of beard. He's got like kind of like, (laughs) he's got kind of like longishy, curly, kind of like messy Mm -hmm. farm boy hair. But yeah, the author really liked to tell us how handsome he was. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) To really sell it. Really sell it. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.